You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation preserves, protects, and enhances the future of the Rose Bowl Stadium as a national historic landmark. America's Stadium has hosted two Olympic Games, with a third one coming in 2028, two World Cup Finals, five Super Bowls, and the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl since 1923. It is the epic center of college football and is the most iconic stadium in the world. To learn more about how you can support the Rose Bowl Stadium as it turns 100 years young, visit www.inspire, which spells inspire2022.org. Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Trojan fans, welcome to the Parastyle Podcast. On a Wednesday, we're going to talk some USC Trojan football with our friend, our pal, Coach Harvey Hyde. You can follow him on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde, or on Instagram, at Coach Harvey Hyde. His website is harveyhyde.com. Check him out there. He has some shows that he does, talk about USC, lots of information up on his website, so make sure you go there. If you have any questions or comments for our little show here, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call or text us, 424-254-9141. Send us a text. Leave us a voicemail. We love to play it or read it on the air and let everyone know what you want to hear about and do our best to answer that question or cover that topic however however you present it to us. A lot of different ways you can get a hold of us. Uh, we do love to hear from you, especially during the offseason. It's a, it's a show that's mostly run by all the questions that you guys send in. Uh, if, you have, if you're a USC fan and you have some friends that like, you know, like the Trojans, maybe let them know about our little show. Tell them about the Parastyle Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen, iTunes, or it's Apple Podcast now, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, all that kind of stuff. Anywhere you can get a podcast, you can find the Parastyle Podcast. Please leave us uh, some positive feedback. Five-star ratings are awesome. Any way you can help us propagate the show, we really do appreciate it. We do appreciate you listening, especially during the off-season. We're actually one week away from the old signing day. It's still a signing day, but just most of the 80% of the players have signed. We'll talk about that a little bit. we got to talk about the Todd Orlando hire and what kind of impact it can have on the team with the coach, Harvey Hyde. And he's on the line right now. What's up, coach? Ryan, how you doing, everybody? Uh, yeah, it's football year-round. It's not just during the football season. It's year-round. And as I always used to tell my staff and tell our players, hey, there's longer off-season periods than there are during the season. If we're going to get better, we've got more time to get better during the off-season nine months than we do during the season. So uh, we don't take much time off. And, uh, Ryan, you don't take much time off. And uh, this is a very important time of the year for everyone. It is, and uh, that's a really good point. There is such a long off season; you have to make the most of it. And uh, I think one of the ways you can do that is there's key positions in uh, anyone's coaching staff. Obviously, a head coach—that's uh, an important spot. Your strength and conditioning coach, the coordinators. Well, USC had two coordinators to to replace uh, special teams, which we'll talk about a little bit. But at defensive coordinator, bringing in a guy like Todd Orlando, who was the defensive coordinator at Texas the last three years, fired by Tom Herman, ended up working for his old uh, buddy, or at least getting hired on by his old buddy, Matt Wells, at Texas Tech, but then leaves to become USC's defensive coordinator. And we, we talked about the possibilities. I think the last time we had a show, it wasn't official, if I'm not mistaken. It all kind of like blends together at this point, but... I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Todd Orlando, coach, and you know what kind of changes you think would be made? Will practices be more intense? Do you think there'll be more of a rotation with younger players seeing the field more, more blitzing, or different you know formations that you would see different fronts? 
And uh, can can a guy like Todd Orlando change the culture of this team? So maybe get your thoughts on uh, Todd Orlando. Well, I don't think he can change the, the theme on the entire football program. That's the head coaches. But I think on the defensive side of the football, he can change the atmosphere, the toughness, the uh, intensity, what it's like to play on defense, get the right players on the field. Uh, I think he's a, a football coach. I respect the coaches he's worked for. And uh, it's unfortunate he got let go. Hey, when you let a guy go that's making $1.7 million, you sort of want, why did they let him go? Yeah, you sort of wonder that, but then again, uh, you have to have players. In the first year he was at Texas, he had great players. If you don't have great players, you can't be a great coach. So uh, I think he brings in a lot of uh, enthusiasm. I think that was lacking on the defensive side of the football. I didn't know of any enforcers or anybody who could raise their voice uh, the way I would like to see a defensive coordinator uh, raise his voice or a defensive staff member. And uh, from the interviews that I've heard, and of course I've never met him, so I don't know, uh, he seems to be saying the right thing as far as we're not going to do demerits. Uh, I mean, I've never heard of anything like that. That's in kindergarten. I don't know if you heard about that. And some of these other things that are in the uh, some parts of the program, I think he's going to demand more discipline. I think he's going to have more speed of core, which means they're going to be in the meetings on time. They're going to be in the field on time. They're going to run around and hit people. And I think he'll have a different sense of urgency on the defensive side of the football. Now, there's a lot still to be determined on the defensive side, so I can't comment on the coaches. I can't, can't comment really on the defense, but normally a coach comes in knowing what defense he wants to run. And being a coach in the Big 12, where you see every type of offense throwing the ball around, you've played against Oklahoma, Nebraska, and all these different teams, uh, not Nebraska, but all these different teams, uh, you, you've, seen, you've seen speed, you've seen power, you've played before big crowds, you've been a coordinator before, this isn't your first time, and you've been in college. So you know what recruiting is all about, and you know how important recruiting is. Because, like I said a moment ago, if you're you don't have players, you're not a very good head or head coach or assistant coach. So, I think they'll that'll happen. But uh, I don't know what's going to happen with the staff. I don't know if he's going to run a 34 front or not. But I think he has to evaluate the personnel he has before he can determine what type of defense he's going to run. The uh, the hire a general coach. I wanted to get your thoughts on this because you know, I talked to some people. And this seems to be more of an out-of-the-box hire for a Clay Helton where it's someone that he wasn't familiar with. It's someone that's you know, has a stronger personality that could come in and clash with some of the coaches that they already have. We don't know if there's going to be more moves on the defensive staff. Uh, still a couple openings there with special teams coordinator and then Joe DeForest's old spot. But uh, Orlando's a linebacker coach. I don't think they're going to bring in another Linebacker coach outside of Johnny Nansen, unless Johnny Nansen goes away. But I would think that they don't need another one since that's what Orlando specializes in. But in general, it seems like this is out of what we normally would consider like a Clay Helton comfort zone hire. Would you agree with that? Well, I'm not sure of that. I'd, I don't know. He's got a little bit of a different personality. He's more outgoing. Uh, I think he's going to be more vocal. Uh but uh, I'm not sure if it's a Clay Helton hire, but I'm sure that Clay Helton had to prove it. I think it's uh, part of his staff that recommended uh, Todd because we have some Texas people on the SC coaching staff who probably are pretty familiar with Todd and also from Utah State and, and Texas and so on. They played against Texas there and, and so on, so they know him, and they've probably gone against him in recruiting, I would hope as far as hiring somebody and you don't want to recruit against him because he is pretty good at it. You wouldn't want to hire someone that every time you recruited against him, you beat him. You want to hire somebody that, uh, you know, can get after it, knows how to recruit, knows how to coach, knows how to coach college kids and get college kids to perform. So I don't know if you want to call us off the cuff or whatever, but I think, uh, you know, you, you've got to learn to have big names around you if you're going to be successful in college coaching. You look at Ed Ordra, Bo Pelini. I mean, uh, here's a coach who was 
you know, been a head coach, uh, you know, where he's been at LSU, he's been at Nebraska, he's been at Youngstown State. Hey, this is a guy that's been there with the lights on, okay? This is a guy that's been there, man. He knows what's going on. So, Ed Ardron's smart enough to get that type of defensive coordinator, somebody that he can depend on that knows what he's doing. Now, I hope that Coach Clay Helton has evaluated here, Todd, the same way to understand that this is where it's at. This is the key. This is what I want. I want a San Francisco 49er type of defense, but that gives me a better chance to win. But again, he's got some problems on trying to teach toughness when you go against a pass air raid attack every day. How do you learn to become tough when all you do is pass rush? Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, well, we had a couple questions about Todd Orlando, so why don't we jump into those right away? Uh, hey, guys, question for Coach Hyde. I think hiring... Uh, Todd Orlando may be a good decision. Time will tell. My concern is that uh, in the end, Coach Clay Helton just doesn't seem to have the right attitude for winning. After every game we lose, all he talks about is effort and being oh so close. Not once have we seen him truly upset about a loss. This then carries on to the players who have the same, quote, gee whiz, we sure tried hard attitude. Not a recipe for national for a national championship team. My question is, is it possible for a head coach with that attitude to suddenly demand more of his team without seeming fake to players? Yeah, it is difficult. It really is. And I think that uh, he has already established his personality. I've never been in a team meeting. I've never been in the locker room at halftime or after the game or when he spoke to the team and how they accepted him. I know that uh, on the field, uh, I know him as a nice person. Off the field, I know him as a very nice person. He's a gentleman. Uh, as far as his coaching techniques and his relationship with the players, I think they like him because I think they have a lot of freedom. And, uh, you know, sometimes too much freedom is not good. And I think that uh, that has gone a little bit too far, and I think that he's got to sort of draw in the court. But, again, it's difficult for him to do that. So he's got to bring in other people that can do that for him. You can't be easy and then get tough, but you can always be tough and again, get a little easy because they know you can be tough. You can't go the other way. You can't come in wanting to be everybody's buddy. Then all of a sudden later on, you're trying to change now to be everybody's boss. So that doesn't happen in any uh, way. And uh, I think he'd have a difficult time now changing who he is. So he's got to have some people on his staff that can handle these type of things since that's not him. Yeah. Makes sense. Coach. Uh, that was from Alex, by the way. Sorry. I didn't mention, uh, his name. Thanks for the question, Alex, for the email. We have another Todd Orlando question from Don. He says, I'm a little confused. Orlando said that he and Clay Helton had the same philosophy about football how it should be played in practice. Orlando claims he likes hard competitive practices. He must be gullible if he believes anything Clay Helton says. What are the chances of USC actually practicing football as opposed to seven on seven? That's from Don. Well, Don, only, uh, it's only for us to find out. Uh, obviously, when you just get hired, you're going to say nice things about your head football coach. And uh, you certainly do want to agree with the style of football that he wants to play and the practices he wants to have. And I hope they had this discussion before he accepted the job. And you understand that you can't come in under assumption that you're going to be doing this and it turns out to be something different. So uh, I'm sure that a lot of those discussions went on as far as staff-wise, and I'm sure he got a uh, several-year contract, two- or three-year contract also to come to USC. So uh, I hope he has had these conversations because it will be a different type of philosophy than what it's been. And uh, maybe, maybe there'll be some change. Now, it'll be tough for this team to make changes. It will be because they've been in a different philosophy for so long. And sometimes you can make that change a lot easier when you have a change with the head football coach because all the players know it's going to be different around here. And the head football coach starts out with, hey, this is what it's about and this is what I expect. It's pretty tough to change midstream uh, with a football program. Yeah. No, it's not It's not easy to do. And uh, I know the defensive coordinator can have a, a big impact on things. But like you said, coach, it starts from the top. 
So it would have to be up to Clay Helton to kind of make some adjustments to a lot of his philosophies. Uh, and I know college football in general, you've seen, you know, at, at football in general, NFL too, you've gotten away from, there's not the two-a-day stuff anymore. They're not hitting every day in practice. But this is still a team that hits less than a lot of other teams. So you'd like to see things get a little bit more physical. That's what Todd Orlando likes. Is he going to win out or is it going to be, you know, the 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 Clay Helton way from before? We guess we just have to wait and see. That's what you have to do. You have to wait and see. And I think it would help the offense, too, to develop certain things within the offense. I don't know if they're going to make, make, make many changes in the offense, but I certainly hope they do. It doesn't look like they are in some areas as far as the tight end. They now have two receiver coaches. So I don't know what they're doing in that part of the team, if they're going to move the quarterback, two remaining backs, uh, different type of things. I'm waiting to sit center. Are they going to be able to have a quarterback sneak? Are they going to have power plays in the goal line with double tights? Are they going to involve their tight ends? What are they telling their tight ends right now? Because if I was a tight end, I'd probably go into the portal because the amount of time that uh, I was used, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty tough to practice that many months and then don't play at all or even have a place on the, the depth chart as far as you come in the block or whatever. So, you know, you've got to get a lot of these things ironed out before spring practice or your players start doubting you. And when they start doubting you, you've got a problem. That is true. You don't want to be doubted by the players because then it all falls apart. We're going to talk about the transfer portal. You mentioned a little bit. Daniel Matorbebe uh, wasn't a transfer portal, but he was been out for the last couple of years. Uh, we reported he's coming back. So there's uh, another body as far as tight ends go that USC has uh, at their disposal. But we got a question about the treasure portal. But before that, we had a question from Gary, class of 75. He said, uh, Clay fired Clancy and John Baxter in December, but I've only heard discussion about hiring a new defensive coordinator. Is Clay even looking for a special teams coordinator? Who are the leading candidates? How many other Power 5 teams have a coordinator? Isn't a special teams coach good enough and cheaper? Thanks and fight on from Gary. And I, I think I'll, I'll jump in a little real quick coach with the 10th assistant that they've added. I think most teams have some sort of special teams coordinator, at least a person, you know, a special teams coach. Uh, you know, we've seen Pete Carroll had teams where they would, everyone would kind of share duties, but usually there's someone overseeing the special teams. You can call them whatever you want, if it's a coordinator or whatever, but I think that's the, what most people do now. And that's really what I'm curious to see what direction uh, USC goes in because, you know, that's a, it's an important spot. And we've seen so many snafus, there's so many gaffes on special teams uh, over the last couple of years. And, and you know how much they were practicing special teams, how many scholarships were given to special teams players. Um, it's resources were used heavily on the special teams front. So I would think Clay Helton, it's in you know, his best interest to try to bring in someone with a proven track record to improve that group. Well, I think he's got to make a decision. I think Johnny Nansen's got to make a decision. Uh, Johnny Nansen uh, normally used to coach the inside linebackers. He's not going to coach the inside linebackers. Todd is okay. So he's going to be given the he's going to be given an ultimatum. You're going to be special teams coach, an outside linebacker coach, or you better find another job. So I think that's what's going to happen there. But there's no spot for him yet on the uh, coaching staff. Those are all filled, the way I understand it. So, you know, there's going to be some tough decisions made. But Johnny Nansen has done that before. He probably wanted to be the defensive coordinator, didn't get it. So there's a little internal stuff going on there. And also, if you're Todd Orlando, you really don't want anybody uh, working on your staff that uh, maybe applied for your position. Because uh, what type of loyalty is he working for you or working against you? So you've got to look at all that side of the ball, too, and the side of the coaches and so on. But uh, you don't want to coach the coaches. You want to have your coaches know what you want done so they can coach the players. Now, if you have to coach the players and then coach the players, too, then, man, you've got a problem. You're not getting anything done. So normally a defensive coordinator would want to bring in one or two staff members so that a coach with him, so it's easier for him to transition and come in and, and teach his defense on what he wants to do, because they already know what his philosophy is. So I think there'll probably be some coaching changes there. I don't know. 
But I think that, too, when I did special teams and my special teams coach from UNLV became the special teams coach at New England with the Patriots for all those years and got those Super Bowl rings, uh, he was our special teams coach, but he also had a coaching position. But also, I wanted the whole team to respect him. And every coach on the staff was a part of his staff, which meant I didn't want during special teams the team to think, oh, well, these other coaches don't think it's that important. They're over there doing that. They all coached special teams. And uh, so I think it's all part of football. And you said it earlier, nobody spends more time on special teams than John Baxter and Clay Helton allowed John Baxter to coach special teams. In fact, it even became boring. Yeah, it was uh, it was a little too much. I think so. We'll see where they go. And I, just to be clear, too. So uh, back in December, after the Holiday Bowl, Clay Helton let go. John Baxter, who special teams, but also tight ends, and he let go of Clancy Pendergast. Joe DeForest, uh, who was coaching outside linebackers, left. He took a safety job at North Carolina State. Now USC's hired Todd Orlando, so that fills one of the spots of the three that were open. But also, John David Baker was promoted inside receivers coach, uh, tight ends coach. So that spot's taken as well. He was coming over from uh, the support staff side. And so now you have really just one spot open. And like you said, what is it going to be? You could see uh, Johnny Nansen start coaching special teams. You could see some more changes being made. We're, We're curious to see, but they don't at this point at least haven't announced a special teams uh, coordinator or someone that's be running special teams. So we'll see which direction they go, but uh, at least one spot or just one spot open right now, as far as assistant coaches go. And that's, you know, depending on if, if Tartar Orlando has the authority to make some changes, if he wanted to make any more changes going forward. Um, you were talking about the transfer portal earlier, coach. We also uh, CJ Pollard, uh, the, the safety redshirt senior out of Sarah high school, former four-star player, uh, just played sparingly throughout his career at USC. He tweeted out he's going to enter the transfer portal. He'll be a graduate transfer, so he can play right away somewhere. Um, so uh, good luck to CJ. Great kid. Legacy. You know, His dad played at SC. His mom went to SC. Um, just never really had an opportunity to get on the field. And this past year, I thought he might have because USC lost so much uh, depth in the secondary or so, you know, so much of the top-end talent was gone. But Pollard ended up uh, breaking his foot, and he was out for the whole spring. And so I think that sort of set him back a little bit. But uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on the transfer portal, Coach. We have a couple of questions, but I, I wanted to throw that out there too. Well, you know, most of the players that have left on the portal to USC have done well. The kids that went to Illinois had a, had a great year. And, uh, the kids that have gone to other schools have had a great year. You watch Jones, will have a great year at Tennessee, playing down there with T. Martin. Uh, they're great athletes, USC has, and people look forward to having them. Jack Sears, I was very surprised that uh, after the coaching change there, but the offensive coordinator didn't change, just the head coach, Rocky Long, changed. And uh, the way he became the defensive coordinator at New Mexico, sort of a unique change in the same conference from head coach at San Diego State to defensive coordinator at New Mexico, where he was the head football coach at one time. So, you know, uh, Jack Sears is now looking to see exactly what's going to happen to him. And I start to think, wait a minute, is something happened at US is something happening at USC that maybe we don't know about? Is a quarterback planning on transfer? And the only quarterback I could think that might be thinking a possible uh transfer would be JT. So I was saying, is Jack thinking of staying now at USC or what's happening? But you know, if you're a quarterback, you gotta go in the spring. If you're going to go somewhere else and start getting reps and fight for that first team position. So Jack isn't going to watch and sit. So if he's going to go, he's got to go. So if he doesn't make a decision here shortly, he might be coming back to USC. Oh, that could be interesting. Um, we haven't heard that, but yeah, that's uh, I mean, it's always a possibility. He's still listed in the portal now, but we've seen people withdraw their names and uh, stay with the schools. We, we saw that with Vales Jones last year and now he's, he's back in, Went back into the portal and uh, ended up at Tennessee, like Coach said. But we had a couple emails from Curtis Marino Valley about the transfer portal. Uh, he said, if we get a senior player out of the portal, does he count against us for the next year, or is that scholarship freed up 
for the next year. Um, not quite sure what you mean, Curtis, but you know, if you get a say, they you know, like last year they got Drew Richmond out of the transfer portal. He was a senior grad transfer. He played that year. He counted on your scholarship chart for one year. He did count as an initial counter. So someone coming into the program, it's like one of those recruits that you would have coming in of the 25, you get 25 every, every year. He did count towards that. And then he counted towards the overall number uh, to 85. But this coming year after the summer, he's off the books and they go into the 2020 season. Uh, Drew Richmond's not there anymore. So if that's, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that coach, but that's, that's how it works. No, the way I understand it, you're correct. That's exactly what I would say it is. And uh, I think that's how it works. I do. Yeah. No comment, except that's the way it is. <laughs> Thanks, Carson. His other email about the transfer portal, he said, if we are so bad at recruiting, why give any scholarships to anyone but transfer portal players? Usually, they are sophomores to seniors and ready to play now. Until we recruit better, we should live in the portal, Curtis and Marino Valley. And I'll, I'll give a couple quick thoughts first, Curtis, before we let Coach jump in. I mean, if you're going to bring in graduate transfers, they can play right away. But portal guys, normally, say you bring in a sophomore, they're sitting for a year. So you're redshirting them, and maybe you would redshirt you know, true uh, freshmen anyway. And I, I think you're right, though. There's The talent level in the portal is pretty high because there's more people going in than there are spots for. The the really high level guys like uh, you know Jalen Hurts or Justin Fields like they're gonna get the, the, people make room for them. But we saw a guy like Akili Ross, who's a former four star guy, had a good chance to start at USC, end up at a place like UTEP. So I think there you can use the transfer portal to help out your team. Maybe a left tackle this offseason uh, would be beneficial for USC because you don't really have a you know a a plan to fill in Austin Jackson at this point. There's just kind of trying, they'll probably be trying some different things in the spring, but I don't think you can rely on it completely. We've seen Illinois, you know, leave some spots open and, and fill some needs and that worked out well, but you can't just abandon recruiting and go all transfer portal. I just don't think that would work. Well, Curtis, I understand what you're saying, but you've got to look at it this way. How many players out there are better than the recruits that USC gets? How many players out there figure if they're going to transfer, they're going to leave the program they're at to go to USC and they feel they could beat somebody out? How about a receiver or running back or quarterback or whatever? They don't play tight ends or possibly offensive linemen. As Ryan uh, mentioned, yes, there's a possibility of a left tackle spot open, but there's going to be competition there too. Or the defensive line or linebackers. And look at all the secondary people they have. What person that's going to transfer from somewhere because the day everyone wants to transfer so they can have a great year and go to the NFL. That's all kids talk about. Used to be, oh, I want to graduate from USC or I want to do this, I want to do that. Now it's all, I want to play, I want to impress someone, I want to go to the NFL. And normally uh, most of the portal guys are people that have been highly recruited, didn't come out, didn't come through, or there was too much competition at their school, so they elect to go somewhere else. So there isn't a lot of selections for USC to be able to come in, because I'm not going to take anybody that can't beat Oregon. I'm not going to take anybody that can't beat Notre Dame. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to take anybody that cannot play at the level that's necessary to win the Pac-12. So you got to be very careful when you take these portal players but they got to be talented and they got to be good as far as being able to fit into your program. So there isn't as many as you really think there are. Yeah, there's a, yeah, I, I agree with you there, coach wholeheartedly. Um, we're going to switch shift over to recruiting a little bit. We had a couple of questions on that, mostly because uh, this, you know, over the past couple of days, a couple of local blue chip prospects, uh, Bo Collins is wide receiver. I got to see a bunch of, from St. John Bosco. He's the number 34 ranked player in the country. Uh, he committed to Clemson very recently. And then the big one that was uh, an issue just a couple days ago, I think Sunday night, uh, Corey Foreman uh, from uh, Corona Centennial. He's in the new rankings, the number one player in the country in the 24-7 sports composite. Uh, his best friend, is uh, Drake Jackson, who plays on the USC team. And uh, when I interviewed Corey last, 
think it was over the summer. I just he was just gushing about Drake Jackson. Just seemed like it was a lock that he would be following him to USC. He also committed to Clemson. So some big root news. I know the class of 2020 is the worst we've ever seen. There's some good players committed, a couple good players committed for the class of 2021, but two really good local prospects just picked Clemson over the past few days. And we do have a voicemail question to kind of go along with it. And we have some other questions, but I'll, I'll play this for you, coach, and get your thoughts. Frank, hey guys, Frank Miranda out of Irvine, uh, class of 2004. Corey Foreman committed to Clemson 2021. Um, de- you know, you can debate he's the number one recruit in the country. A lot of people believe he is. Uh, keep it short. Third year in a row, the number one recruit in Southern, in California, who happens to be in Southern California, going out of state. I mean, this, I mean, this is same red flag waving as big as can be that this is a repudiation amongst the high school football community that Clay Helton is not the guy. Please ask the sources inside the athletic department what's holding them back. Because when you don't have the personnel, no matter who the coach is, you are not going to win. College football is a game amongst, of, of talent and coaching. It can have, if you have the terrible coach and a terrible roster, for sure you're not going to win. You can only do so much with one of the two, as we've seen. So what are they actually waiting for? I mean, because this is embarrassing. Well, it's going to continue. Next week, Alabama will come through and Georgia and everybody else because there's no respect currently right now for the football programs in Southern California or basically within the Pac-12, except for right now, currently Oregon, who continually gets players, and Washington, who had a pretty good recruiting year. Uh, Kids want to go to the NFL. Kids want to play on winning football teams. Kids want to get national exposure. Kids want to go to school where people really care about college football. So currently right now, those are the schools in the Southeastern Conference and some schools in other conferences that are doing that. So kids today, it isn't like they always want to get an education like at USC. That used to be. Right now, their goals are to play in the NFL, get exposure all their lives. They're committing on national television. They're doing all of these different things. So Dabo Sweeney comes through here and makes some home visits and uh, takes California back with him. And uh, that is just uh, the way it's going to be until schools in Southern California uh, make that commitment, which neither one of them have done to, or at least they haven't showed me, okay, to do and play at that level. So if I could go to California and get all these great players, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't you fly out here? Why wouldn't you come out and get the best players in California and let USC and the rest of them have the rest of them? You're not going to beat them, beat them because I got all the best players. So maybe that question should be sent over to USC or over <laughs> to UCLA. Yeah. And ask them if they're talking or thinking about the same things we are. Because, uh, you know, uh, it doesn't seem to make sense to me on what they're doing. They take 25 days, I think it was, to decide who their defensive coordinator was. Was it because nobody wanted it, like the players? Or what happened? How come? We got spring practice coming up in about four weeks. How do you get ready for spring practice when you don't even know what defense you're going to run or who's going to be the staff members or what you're going to teach? Unbelievable. Yeah, it's a little crazy, Coach. And the, the other recruiting question actually was also from from Frank. So it was along the same lines. But the, the point he had in there, too, was you need talent. It's that college football is about talent. And this team, I know there's everyone that, that doesn't want Clay Helton to be there. This still is a very talented roster, but with the last two, you know, the, the last recruiting class, I think some of that depth is going to be hurt um, going forward. And I think 2021, you might see a drop-off in the talent. And this is a team that's kind of relied on the talent. So I get Frank's point that, you know, you're not getting these Southern California guys that would always go to USC anymore. Uh, that's going to start to erode the talent base on this team. And we've already seen it start to happen. And, you know, starting the following year, I think it's going to be uh, really apparent. So I, I think there's there's no time to waste in being able to turn this around on the recruiting side. But 
Uh, something has to give. Either Clay Elton goes out and beats Alabama and everyone thinks he's going to be the coach for a long time, or he's not and you make a change and the new coach comes in and, and recruits well because the being in limbo where Clay Helton has been for the last couple of years is certainly not helping USC's recruiting efforts, if you know what I mean. I know what you mean, but again, uh, I keep hearing the, the term from the college president, integrity, integrity. She wants integrity. I want her to explain to me what that means and how that handles winning and losing. You can win with integrity, and uh, that's what they've always done at the past at USC. Why would they change now? They have a few problems in the athletic department. They have that same problem in all the departments, okay? So why point on the athletic department when you need to make a lot of cleaning up and a lot of changes, okay? But you start doing that by by uh, making the correct changes. Like all along you've heard me say you had Urban Meyer here that possibly would have been interested for that coaching job. How do you pass on that? I mean, I just don't understand, you know, how you can pass on someone like that where immediately he could have made phone calls to all of these kids that are leaving the state right now and you to turn them around. But again, that's not my point. I think that should be asked to the others who really can't answer the question. They just try to give you a short answer of uh, what they're doing. I I don't know what they're doing in the athletic director situation too and all the associate athletic directors and everything else that's going on over there. So I'm anxious to see how they're or what they're doing there too. All right, let's uh, take a quick break. Come back. We got a few more questions and we'll wrap up the show. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We got a question from Don about Justin Dietrich, And he says, what do you guys feel about Justin Dietrich being moved to a guard position? I know a backup center is important, but Justin has the right attitude for an offensive lineman. He would bring toughness. Uh, that's from Don and it's, it's an interesting question, Coach. We talked about this on Tunnel Vision on Sunday, but Justin's the smaller of the two between Brett Nealon and Justin Dietrich, and you would almost feel more comfortable having Dietrich at center than pushing out to guard, but I think they really feel comfortable, um, you know, with the, you know, the, the system that they had now, and maybe Dietrich is going to, you know, move out and, and play some guard and be in that top five or six group. I don't, what, what do you think? Well, you know, I think it's the same old theory. You get your five best offensive linemen on the field. That can get it done. And again, you've got to be remember your guards play against big defensive linemen inside. So they've got to be powerful because that's where they put their power, inside. And you've got to have tackles who can get in positions to, to block pass rushes. Yet your guards still have to pull if you use that type of offense and lead up the field and not be chasing or getting behind the back, but leading the back on plays. So it depends on what type of offense you're going to run and your philosophy of what type of guard you need. Are you going to pull your guards, or are you not going to pull your guards? Are you going to man block uh, everything or zone block everything? You know, you've got to be able to decide what you can do with your linemen and uh, get your five best players on the field. What good does it do to have four players at two-in-one position and you're weak somewhere else? You've got to be able to determine that and move people around and maybe teach one guy to play all five positions or three of the four, whatever you want to do. Three center plays both guards and center and all the different things like they do in the NFL. 
If you don't have the depth, why why put a somebody on the field you can't win with? I don't understand that. Uh, you cannot put somebody on the field you can't win with. I mean, maybe you need to move over somebody over from the defense. I don't know. But you better get, if a guy's a backup on defense and could be a starter for you on offense, he's going to offense as far as I'm concerned if I'm the head football coach. Because I want my best 22 players on the field. So that's my feeling there. Who moves around? I don't know. They pay those guys all that money. They can determine it. Yeah. The, <laughs> the higher pay grades than us, I guess you could say, <laughs> coach, right? Uh, at least than me. I don't know. Maybe not than you, but the higher pay grades than that. Um, we had uh, Jeff and Whittier send in a couple of questions. First up, he said, Hey team, thanks for doing such a good job keeping us informed and putting out such a great product for us to watch and listen to each week. First question is, how can Coach Hyde say that Austin Jackson J- Austin Jackson should stay in school and develop his skills when he's likely to be picked in the first two rounds and the sentiment is that the current coaching staff is not coaching them up to develop the players anyway? Wouldn't it be better for him to take the money and go get some real development in the pros? Well, let me t- put it to you this way. Uh, yeah, if he gets the money and all of that, but if I'm a head football coach, I'm not going to use my number one draft choice on a backup or a guy I have to develop. Hey, number one draft choices are supposed to change the franchise or be a definite starter for me. I don't think Austin Jackson's ready to start in the NFL as a tackle, left tackle, right tackle. Maybe you do. Maybe in a guard you can hide him some. Because you're going to face the guys uh, that can really rush the passer every single week. So if I'm going to take a first-round draft choice, this is my opinion. he got to step in. He's got to be my starter. But I'm not going to be around after you develop him. By the time he gets developed, there'll be a new coach coaching, okay? Because I'll be gone. So I've got to make sure that my first-round pick or second-round pick or even third-round pick are guys that can play the first year. You can see that with San Francisco and how they've done with their drafting and so on. You can't wait to develop people today or the new coach will be the benefits. I'm just telling you. So I don't think he's ready for the NFL. And that was just my opinion that I think he needed to play in another year. But if someone wants to take him in the first round, pay him all that money. Boy, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations to him. So we'll see. That's I don't know where... Where he's going to go, but our friend Daniel Jeremiah thought he'd be a first-round pick, so we'll see what happens with Austin Jackson, but he'll be able to take care of his family either way. Uh, Jeff's second question was, is it reasonable to expect the USC defense to post great numbers and national rankings when they're playing with an air raid offense who has tons of three-and-outs and a lot of quick scoring drives? I would think being on the field so much each game would affect the numbers for any defense. Thanks for your consideration, Jeff and Whittier, and Jeff, some of the numbers that put out there that people will take a lot of that into consideration, um, you know, the, the number of plays a defense would face where you could look at Army and you're like, hey, Army has one of the best defenses in the country. They face like 40 plays a game where, yeah, what did Texas face 80 plays a game or did USC face 78 plays a game, whatever it was. I think you have to take that into consideration. And there are certain like analytical numbers, uh, you know, advanced stats that that show some of that. Well, you know, we've talked about this before. Uh, I don't think you win championships passing the football every down. You know, if you talk about it, what teams do you know in the country that do that and are playing in the uh, the big game or the, the the playoffs or the top sixth or seventh ranked team or the top ten teams in the country? Now, me, I think USC should be in the top ten every single year or higher. So, if you're going to be in that group, I mean, the uh, coaches, how I many? What's the philosophy of that? Why aren't they all doing that? Because it doesn't work if you can't run the football and if you can't have all the different schemes that are necessary all over the field, you can't win your conference. You can't play in the championship game. But that's not what's happening. Those schools uh, run the football. Those schools have their quarterback run the football. Everything goes. Lawrence runs the football. Fields runs the football. Lawrence, uh, you name it, they all, Bulls ran the football. If you're going to run a run back, one back set, I, I just keep repeating myself, but it, that's what I see, and that's I think facts prove that. So I'm not looking at stats. I don't want stats. I want Ws, and what gives me that chance to win 
a conference championship or play at that level. And it's not throwing the ball every down. Yeah, and I, and I think when you're talking about an offense and defense working together, a lot of people that I talk to say you need to get coordinators and, and schemes that complement each other. So sometimes you can have a defense that doesn't really fit well with an air raid offense like Coach Hyde was saying that you're throwing the ball over the field all the time. So sometimes that's, you know, you wanted to get it to work uh, and they have to kind of work together sometimes. So coming from the Big 12, I think, you know, Todd Orlando has worked with against and with a bunch of air raid teams. So I think that should be, you know, I think he should understand that a little bit better. So you might, you might see some better results just because he's been around those uh, offenses before a lot more than like a Clancy Pendergast was. No, I agree. I think that when you're in college football, you have more of a feel uh, for uh, college kids. I think why Pete Carroll had such great success when he first went to Seattle. He knew all the players that were in college football. He recruited all the best ones. He got great draft choices and got players to come there as free agents because he knew they could play. And I think that the same thing as as far as a coach. When you coach that level, you know exactly what you're going to see and you're more familiar with it. And I think it's very difficult. I think it was tough for Clancy to come down and uh, coach at USC. Uh, didn't like to recruit. I think he's an NFL coach. Didn't like to recruit. Didn't like to do to some of the things that were really necessary. I'm not saying he's a bad person, but I think he was a bad fit. Yeah. All right. We got one last question for you, Coach. This is kind of a fun one. And I know this was uh, bopping around Twitter a little bit. I think John Canzano, uh threw it out there. He's a columnist and a radio host up in Oregon, but he said, now that the national champ, this is from Mark. Now that the national championship is over, here's a hypothetical question. Could the PAC 12 put together an all-star team with a coach that could beat either of the two teams we watched play in the championship, Clemson or LSU? I don't think so, but I'd like your opinion and players you would place on the team. That's from Mark. Um, I'll, I'll do mine real quick, Coach. I think for sure uh, that this that the Pac-12 would win. Now, this is assuming you have this same group of players that are going to play a schedule throughout the year, not just put a bunch of all-stars and play a season team that's practiced all together all year. But, you know, guys like, you know, LaVisca Chenault uh, being out there. I mean, receivers like that, he's going to be a first or second round pick. Or, you know, you the Brandon Ayuk who left early from, from ASU. I mean, you could have... Justin Herbert is your quarterback, you know, that's, you know, it's pretty, pretty good. He's going to be a, a top pick, maybe top five kind of pick in the draft. Uh, Bradley and I on your defensive line, you know, um, you know, he's another one that's going to be a, a fairly high pick and uh, Zach Moss running the football or a whole bunch of different running backs. I think when you could choose from the, from 12 different teams that are going to put dudes in the NFL, yes, LSU is going to have a ton of guys go in the NFL. They're going to have a fun, uh, ton of first round draft picks. But I would take a Pac-12 All-Star team over uh, either one of those teams. Just that's there's so many guys you get to choose from, and it's not just like recruiting. It's like these are guys that like uh, that were at Wash that at, say Utah forever, and they've been developed into great players. Like guy like a Bradley and I wasn't going to be recruited by. I think he was a three-star dude. wasn't going to be recruited by like Alabama, but Alabama if they could trade for him, they would trade for him now because he's been developed at Utah. So I yeah, I think the the Pac-12 would win. What do you think, coach? Well, uh I tell you that's a good question. <clears throat> uh, again, if they played the entire season together, yeah, I think they could play with him. Putting him together as an all-star team against one of those teams, I think it'd be difficult to have the timing and get it done. And I think the Southeastern Conference would really take a lot of pride or Dev Devil Sweeney and Clemson in beating him. But I think they certainly do have the talent, if you use all 12 teams, to draft from to put together a, a one football team. I do. Uh, if you look at the Senior Bowl, a lot of the stars in the Senior Bowl were from the Pac-12, so at certain positions. So I really believe that could happen, and it's a good question. It makes you think a little bit. Yeah, I mean, if you have – I mean, even like uh, Anthony Gordon, you know, throwing for a bazillion yards, if – you know, who's running your, you know, is Mike Leach running your offense? Is uh, Kyle Whittingham running your special teams? Is uh, uh, Jimmy Lake running your defense or Tim DeRuiter running your defense? You know, like Evan Weaver, like, you know, he had about a million tackles. It's, uh, I think there's just so many good players spread out throughout the conference. 
that it would be really tough. Uh, that's when people say, oh, Alabama could have beat like the Cleveland Browns. It's like, no, dude, they could not have beat the Cleveland Browns. Like Alabama's really freaking good in college, but you're talking about there's still going to be some spots where, you know, oh, there's a three-star guy that they you know recruited late and he somehow ended up in the starting lineup. When you're the, with the Browns, like all those guys are are going to be, you know, as good or or better than what you have on any college team. So yeah, it's I I don't buy those arguments. I think the All Star team would win. Uh, I think a you know a college team would never beat a, a, you know, even the worst NFL team. No, I agree with you. I don't know how many people out there can remember when they used to have the Hall of Fame game and they used to have the college All Stars play an NFL team, and uh, I think they only won one time in about 20 years. And uh, it was a great game. Everybody looked forward to it. They had the selected top players in the country on the All-Star team. And it was during the exhibition. I think it was the first game of the year, and then the players went to their NFL teams. It was a very interesting game, and uh, I don't think they won but one time. And I don't know if that was an accident or what, but no, that doesn't happen. You're not going to take a college team and play against an NFL team, no. No. All right, well, let's get to wrap things up. That is the coach, Harvey Hyde. Coach, thanks so much for uh, coming on. It was great. Well, thank you very much. And for all of you out there, we want to thank you again for buckling up and riding along with us here. Uh, remember, it's our show. That means yours and ours because you uh, contributed to it. And again, I want to thank Ryan for uh, being a part of it. You do a great job, Ryan. And thank all of you out there. And as Ryan said earlier, you can go to my website, harveyhyde.com, or follow me on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde, and I'll remind you about where I'm at and what I'm doing. Yeah, doing some Instagram videos. You want to go check a Coach out there. He's got his microphone telling you what's going on uh, in the world of college football and sports in general. That's the Coach. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker, CBS season finale Sunday, after the Equalizer, on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.